right, all right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Trace. That was pretty cool, huh? Just give it up for these guys. Everybody's helped us out. <clears throat> well, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And I don't know if you've heard this before, but if, maybe you have. The church that renovates together stays together. Have you heard this? No, you haven't. I just made it up. But that's what we're going to say. Uh, guys, thanks for all those that are pitching in. Again, we've been saying this every week. Got tons of work that will still be done, so you'll probably see improvements each and every week as you come back. And if it's your first time here with us today, man, we're thrilled that you're here. I don't know why you're here. I don't know who invited you or where you saw uh, Trace Church and decided to come in here, but we are incredibly honored that you would join us this morning. Well, like I said, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and I heard Tyler mention a while ago that I was the senior pastor. I typically don't go by that because there's nothing senior about about me. So typically I go by lead pastor. But um, I want to show you guys something really quick. If you come in here in the mornings, you're going to see a graphic like this that comes up every single Sunday. And we're part of something called Cosley. And when I saw this, uh, this one this morning, I didn't know that this was uh, the actual partnership that we're having in this month. And if you see up in the right corner, top right, it says Northwest Haiti Mission. I've actually been there, and so I want to let you know that if you come every single week and you check in at Trace Church, we're partnered with this group called Cosley, and we actually meet real needs, real needs. And the way that we do this is if you'll come on our Facebook page and uh, become a friend of our Facebook page, and then when you check in through Facebook, uh, on our Facebook page, then we get to provide water for places like Northwest Haiti Mission, places that I've been, places that I know could use a lot of help. It's a simple as clicking a button. And one of the things that we're trying to do here at Trace is actually everything that we do, everything that we do, we want it to have meaning behind it. And we all would probably agree that technology is not always a positive thing, right? But if we can take things like technology and use them for the advantages of the kingdom of God, why wouldn't we do it? And so that's what our hope is here. Really, that's who we are trying to become here at Trace. We're trying to, we're trying to create a space where we can learn how to live intentional lives, where we can learn what it looks like to live on mission and with purpose on a daily basis. That's why our mission here at Trace is to leave a trace of God's love everywhere we go. But we also understand that there's a lot of obstacles in our way, one being busyness and chaos, how we're moving at such a pace in life that we don't even see the people that God is putting in front of us anymore. And that's really where it's got to start, doesn't it? That we'll allow ourselves to slow down and live an interruptible life. How would you rate yourself this morning on that question? How interruptible are you? And that really is a twofold question because there's two people that are trying or hoping, two groups of people that are hoping that you'll be available. Let's begin with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention. Sometimes he just wants to get your attention so that you'll open your eyes and you'll start to see people in front of you again. But there's also people around you, your family, your friends, neighbors, coworkers, strangers. Man, if you would just allow your life to become interruptible, you might be surprised how big of a difference the influence your life can make. And so I don't know, again, if you're here and this is all news to you, you've never heard any of this before, our hope is that you would join us in that mission to live, these unre to live out this unrealistic story of Trace Church. But it starts with some simple things, like learning to see people again. Well, a couple weeks ago, I was down in Florida officiating a wedding for a friend, and uh, when there was some downtime, I was just standing aside and, and you know, the, all the photographers taking thousands of pictures. And I actually pulled her aside and I said, hey, how many pictures will you actually take today? And she said, probably somewhere around 2,000. 2,000 pictures. She said, but probably less than 100 will make the final cut. Have you ever thought about the pictures that don't make the final cut? 
I mean, cyclists, any bicyclists or cyclist fans in here? Raise your hand. Cyclist fans? Yeah? Okay, a few of you. Not very active people in here. That's okay. Um, so, you know, the big race in the cycling world is the Tour de France, but you don't ever see this picture, do you? Well, what about the Queen of England, right? She's known for her etiquette and just her proper, yeah, look at this. So these are the pictures that don't make the cut, right? But what about the church? What picture comes to mind when people think of the church? Seems like I have conversations on almost a weekly basis now where I talk to people and it's not that they don't believe in Jesus or believe in God anymore. They just are done with the church. And I know that there's probably various reasons why they've decided to be done with the church. And sometimes it's what they've seen. Sometimes it's what they've heard. But most often, it's what they've experienced. What do you think of when you think of the church? Some of you accepted an invitation to come here today. And it potentially was very difficult for you to accept that invitation because of your past experiences with the church. There's a growing category in our nation right now, and in my world, in kind of the ministry world, we, we talk about this category as the duns. People who still love Jesus, they're just done with the church. Because when they think of the church, there's a picture that comes to mind that just is no longer relevant or important. Something that won't really offer any value into their life. Our hope here at Trace is that we're going to create a different kind of image, a different kind of picture. One of the things that often comes up when I'm in conversations with people, and I love to talk to people who are disconnected from the church because it helps me to be reminded of what our mission is and what we're trying to accomplish. And one of the things that often comes up is this idea of legalism. This subject of legalism, how somewhere along the way we begin to put conditions on something that was supposed to be unconditional. And this is actually what we're going to be reading about today. It's going to be a focal point of our conversation because when we pick up in Acts chapter 15, we're going to see legalism for the very first time begin to take root within the church because some of the super religious people, they begin to put conditions on something that was supposed to be unconditional. And so when we read today, I want you to focus in on how legalism was beginning to take root. And we're going to learn a lot together today. So my hope is that if you're a note taker, you'll pull a pen out, a piece of paper, maybe take it on, uh, take notes on your uh, phone or whatever that looks like. Also, every week, um, we're going to dive into the Bible. And so if you uh, don't have a Bible with you, of course, you can always get the YouVersion app. That's the one we recommend on your phone or mobile device. Uh, also, we have Bibles available for you out in the lobby if you ever want to pick one of those up. And so feel free to open your Bible up to Acts chapter 15 or turn your Bible on. And we're going to pick up... In, in Acts 15, beginning in verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. There's a condition. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. And the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And a Gentile was just anybody that wasn't Jewish. So when you see the word Gentile, just think of everyone or anyone who's not Jewish. This news made all the believers very glad, and when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, the super-religious guys, 
They stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now let's talk about this for a second, and I'm going to do this very quickly, okay? So when we, talk, we hear this idea of they have to keep the law of Moses, the law of Moses from its basic form was the Ten Commandments, right? And so people were expected to keep the Ten Commandments. But let me make something very clear this morning. When God put the Ten Commandments in front of us, yes, it was to show us direction and purpose and to give us parameters and boundaries, but it was also to show us that we cannot live a perfect life. Nobody, nobody can follow the Ten Commandments perfectly. And so God put this standard in front of us that he knew that we were not going to be able to keep. This is why Jesus had to come. Because God does demand perfection from us. It kind of sounds cruel, doesn't it? But it's not because he knew that none of us were going to be perfect. So by sending Jesus to come and die for our sins, Jesus fills the gap of wherever you are and wherever I am of that, that level of being perfect. And so Jesus actually fulfilled the law of Moses. So these guys are coming back and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. No, there's some conditions. You, you, you can't be saved. You can't follow Jesus. Unless you keep all these rules. You see, one of the things I've learned in the church is the more religious you are, oftentimes the more rules you think there are to follow. And we've got to be careful with that. You see, Jesus, when he came, he actually fulfilled the law of Moses. And so now, by putting our faith in Christ, we don't have to try to live a perfect life, even though we should attempt to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. That's what he's asked us to do, because by doing that, we will best represent the love of God, which is very important in a world that's lacking it. So here they're saying, whoa, 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 wait. Now there's some conditions. You're not qualified just yet. Let me pick up. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question, and after much discussion, Peter got up and he addressed them, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might, might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And God, don't miss this next statement, God who knows the heart. God who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles anybody who's not Jewish a yoke or in modern day terms, conditions that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? no. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Friends, I've, uh, I've been in the church long enough to notice that there are two types of people often in a church. Not just two types of people, but there are two categories of people. And the way that I've labeled them is there are churched people and then there are changed people. And when people, the way that I, I would define church people is they've been in the church for so long and maybe they grew up with a certain denominational background, which there's nothing wrong with that, but they grew up with this, this standard of what church was supposed to be, even though God gives us a pretty big play bo- uh, play, um, sandbox to play in when it comes to how we do church. And so church people oftentimes come into a setting, maybe like this, and say, well, this is not church. Are these big screens, these lights... You know, the pastor's wearing jeans. That's not church. You're supposed to wear your Sunday best, right? Instruments, drums, that's not church. 
even though God never put any of these parameters. See, church people like to come into a setting like this and define what they think church is supposed to be. That's not good. That's legalism. I had my fair share of church people growing up. I grew up in the Bible Belt, Lexington, Kentucky. We just take a moment of silence for the Holy Land real quick. <clears throat> okay. Sorry, big, big Kentucky fan. Um, and I heard a lot of things of what it means to be a good, a good Christian, right? Don't smoke, don't drink, don't cuss, vote Republican. It's legalism. Now, should you maybe not do some of those things, or especially to excess? Absolutely. But when we begin to put conditions on something that was supposed to be unconditional, we begin to put roots in the ground of legalism. Guys, this is why so many people have decided that church is no longer something for them. They've had their fair share of feeling judged and condemned. And I get it. I get it. I want to make sure that you hear this statement. And if you're, again, if you're prone to writing down, I would encourage you to write this statement down. Friends, when we start to add qualifiers, we disqualify people. I want you to think about this. When we start to add qualifiers... Things, you have to be pre-qualified before you can join our little club. You actually begin to disqualify people. And this is exactly what's happening in the early church by these super religious people, by the churched people. But friends, one of the most beautiful, beautiful things about the crucifixion, man, hear this, hear this, hear this. One of the most beautiful things about the crucifixion is that Jesus qualified the unqualified. He qualified the unqualified. Man, if there's somebody that's really not qualified to be up here and <laughs> teach you right now, it's me. Some of you guys know my backstory, but Jesus has a reputation for qualifying the unqualified. But the, but the church people of that day, these super religious people, man, they thought that was way too easy. Man, you can't just come to the table with all your mess all your junk, you think you can just come in and you can be in our club, that you can be saved, that you can be one of us who are following Jesus? No, that's too easy. Look how messy your life is. Look at all the junk that's following you, all the mistakes that you've made. You've got to be able to, you have to do something first. You've got to get your life figured out. You've got to straighten up. When we begin to have qualifiers, we disqualify people. That's not what the cross was about. And if any of you are in here today and that was maybe one of your experiences, I'm sorry. Honestly, on behalf of the church, man, I'm sorry. See, some of us, and this is me included, man, the longer that we've been in the church, we just start to get weird and start to add rules and conditions. And Jesus said, no, I died for all that. So what are you doing? When I used to be in the health and wellness business. Some of you guys know this. I used to own a health and wellness company. And I still look back at that time in my life as probably one of the best things that prepared me for the ministry that I want to be a part of. And the reason that I say that is because I got to spend time with a lot of people that were very different from me. People who didn't, not just not believe in God or Jesus, but man, they didn't want anything to do with it. And oftentimes because of the experiences they had or what they experienced on the other end of a Christian who was, try, who was supposedly representing Jesus. And as you can imagine, some of you guys have been a part of these stories. It's like, man, if that's what Jesus is about, if that's what the church is about, based on what I just experienced on the other end of that church or that person who's claiming to be a Christian, I don't want anything to do with it. I get to spend a lot of time with these people. 
one of the groups of people that would come into our health club was a group of exotic dancers. Not somebody you spend a whole lot of time with when you're in ministry. And I had several conversations with them. We had several conversations with them. Some of my business partners were believers as well. And I just remember looking at them and saying, hey, I'm not trying to force anything on you, but I just want you to know that even in your current circumstance, maybe this is for somebody else in here this morning too, even in your current circumstance, man, God's still crazy about you. He still loves you. Yeah, he may not be happy with some of the decisions that you make or are making, but he loves you. And we extend so many invitations for them to come to the church that we were a part of at that time. A couple of them took us up on it. But the majority of them, man, they couldn't overcome two major obstacles. Fear and shame. Guys, you know where fear and shame come from? They come from people in my position sometimes in your position, who put conditions on what it means to be able to come into a place like this. They put conditions and pre-qualifiers of what it means and what you have to be or what, what you have to not be in order to follow Jesus. And those were huge obstacles. I want to do something for you this morning. I want to read a passage of scripture to you, and it's Jesus telling a story, and it's a story, it's a specific way he would tell stories. It's called a parable, and a parable was just a way for him to know his audience and be able to tell a story in such a way that he would be able to identify with his audience. Now, many of you that have been in the church for a long time, you, you're going to be very familiar with the story. This could be new for some of you, but I'm going to put a twist on it, and my hope is that I can help you to see this passage of scripture in a different way because it's a critically important to the type of church that we're trying to become, that you understand what Jesus says here. Let me read it. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose if one of you has a hundred sheep, and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Let me give you a more current context for this passage. Jesus says, I'll leave 99 church people and I'll go after that one person that's unchurched, that one person that feels like that there's pre-qualifiers and conditions. That's who I want to go spend time with. And when I go find them, and I bring them back into this room, you better be, you better be ready to throw a party with me. That's what the church is supposed to be. I talk to way too many church leaders I like to meet with other pastors to see how God's working in their ministry. And I meet, with, I meet with way too many that their ministry, their church, it's stuck. It's stuck. And one of the main contributors to why their ministry is stuck and why they can't move forward is because they lost sight of the lost person. And what they start to do is they start to entertain Christians. They start to entertain the church people in the audience. And it's easy for us to do because it's like, hey, we got a lot of people in here and they give. And, man, we need their tithes so we can pay the bills. And so if they come to me and they say, hey, I want you to preach on this. Or I don't want you wearing jeans. Or I don't want you using the big screens. I don't want drums on stage. They start to make changes or they, they get crippled in their ability to move forward and take risks for the kingdom of God. Hoping to get that one. And then celebrate it. 
Guys, you got to know this is going to be a place where we take risk. Listen to me. I will do anything short of sin to get that one. And if that's not the kind of church you're looking for, this may not be the place for you. That's going to be our focus here. Because, don't miss this, don't miss this. We're not looking for church to people. We're looking for change to people. People that understand what God can do with a human heart. He's in the business of transformation. Not adding preconditions or prequalifiers of what it means to follow him. No, he was never about that. And guys, I get this because, well, let me back up really quick. I should probably say this. If you're a churched person, you may be sitting here right now thinking, oh, crap, I'm a church person. I just have realized this for the first time. Like, it's okay. We love you. And we got a group for you here? No, we don't. We don't have a group. <clears throat> I love you. Jesus loves you. We want you to be here. But my hope, my hope, especially as we have this dialogue today, this conversation, my hope is that you see how Jesus wants you to move from the churched group to the changed group. Because the mission that we're trying to accomplish together Man, we all just have to be changed. We have to be willing to put our, hand, our life in the hands of Jesus, understanding that he's the one who can form, conform, and transform you into the image that he desires, not what the church says or some Christian says that you're supposed to be. Now, yes, as a leader, I'm going to try to help you to see what that looks like as accurately as I can by defining what uh, you know, discipleship and following Jesus looks like based on God's word. But ultimately, man, in the, you know, we read this a little bit earlier. God, he knows the heart. He knows the heart. I don't know your heart. I don't know what secrets you're concealing right now. I have no idea. I know you're scared to death. Even when I said that very statement, some of you started to get that pit in your stomach because you know know what's really going on in your life right now, and so does God. And it's okay that you're here. Listen to me. It's okay. Don't miss this. It's okay if right now you're not okay. Just don't stay there. Don't stay there. Put your life in the hands of God. And maybe, maybe you need to dismiss some of the snapshots that you've got in your head of what you thought the church to be in the past. Maybe the snapshots of what happened to you from a, on the other end of a Christian who deceived you and lied to you and represented Jesus to you in such a way that didn't look anything like love. Maybe you need to ask God to help you to get rid of those snapshots. Don't let those make the final cut. And what if we all together created a new picture? A new story. Man, that's what I want to do. I love how Peter sums it up. I think he does it as succinctly as he can. If we jump down to verse 19, he says this, and so my judgment, my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for anyone. Remember, Gentiles is somebody that's not Jewish. My judgment is that we shouldn't make it difficult for anyone who's trying to turn to God. Let me ask you a hard question. Let me, let me talk to the churched people in the room real quick. And it's okay, guys. I'm a, I used to be a church person. I'm a recovering churched person. I really am. I used to put some conditions on Christianity. I grew up in the church my whole life and probably in some legalism, legalistic environments. And so some of that stuff rubbed off on me. And so for the younger part of my faith, I used to think, no, 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 you, can, you can't act that way. You can't say those things. You can't do those things if you want to be a Christian. Now, again, g- discipleship and our desire to follow after Jesus, should that affect our behavior? Absolutely. But it doesn't put conditions on what it means to follow after Jesus. I'm a recovering church person. I get it. But Peter says, no, 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 no. Listen, 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 listen. It's my judgment that we don't make it hard for anyone 
who's attempting to turn to God. And as a church, can we all collectively just make that agreement together? My hope, my judgment, is that none of us would ever make it hard for somebody who's really far from God right now, extremely broken, to walk through those doors. That's my hope. That's my judgment. Now I'm going to take a detour from this, and we're going to still stay in the same conversation, but there's something that I need to do here, and we're going to talk about these three subjects really quick. We're going to talk about legalism, leadership, and love. And the reason that I need to do this is because sometimes being a spiritual leader and being uh, having you know oversight and leadership within a church, sometimes I have to focus a whole lot on this, but people interpret it as this. Let me give you an example that we would all agree with, and this is going to be important for us today. If we find out that there's somebody in our children's ministry that's looking at children's porno- child pornography, do you want them serving in our children's ministry? The obvious answer is absolutely not. And so we would, of course, sit down with that person. We would remove them from that position. Of course, we, as the church, we're going to come alongside of them, try to counsel them. And again, there'd probably be some legal things involved because of that particular scenario. But somebody could look at me and say, oh, well, you expect them to be perfect? They can't make a mistake, or you're not going to let them serve in children's ministry? Now, again, I'm using a pretty heavy example here. And they're like, whoa, 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 that's legalism. And I say, hold on, time out. No, it's not. It's good leadership. Sometimes these two get blurred, don't they? What if the overseers of this church, there, are, there is a group of people we call it a management team that oversees this church. They have the ability to fire me. What if they found out that I was beating my wife or my kids? Should I be in this position? And so if they came up to me and they said, well, Aaron, I'm sorry, we're going to ask you to sit down. I was like, whoa, 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 you expect me to be perfect? You're putting conditions on what I have to do or what I have to be in order to lead this church? Whoa, wait, that's legalism. And they said, no, 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 no. That's good leadership. You guys starting to see the difference? What if Corey started wearing skinny jeans? Right, we've got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> I'd like to see that, actually. I'm not going to lie. That's maybe weird. Um, <laughs> Corey, where's the camera? Corey, if you're watching, I love you. That's what happens when you go on vacation. This is what happens. But guys, sometimes the line is not so clear. It's not so clear. And I, I can guarantee you this. I will have to make some hard decisions in this church at some point that you don't agree with. And I get that. I understand that. So, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you not to ever question the decisions we make. Because that's just part of human nature, and you're going to do that. You're going to question some of the decisions we make. And that's okay. I probably would too. What I'm going to ask for you not to do is question our motive. Because our motive will always be what we think is best, not only for the person, but what's best for this church, and ultimately what's best for us who are trying to represent God. And so when it comes to leadership in this church, anybody that leads our students, anybody that leads our kids, anybody that's put in a position of leadership for others, I will hold them just like I hold myself to a higher standard. And sometimes when we hold people in leadership because they're leading others to a higher standard, leadership gets confused with legalism. But the two are different. I just wanted to make that clear this morning. Now, Another thing that I want to do is I want to define love for you. And this will play into our conversation, and you'll see how in just a minute. Because what's happened in our society is that love has been hijacked. Now, I'm not going to go too far into this, but people begin to define love however they want. And so I see this all the time. You know, hey, love wins, love wins. And it's like, well, we read in First, you know, uh, first John that God is love. 
There is no love without God. God in himself brings definition to love. And so without God, there is no love. So the best way, and this is my definition, just to be clear, and you don't have to agree with it. The best definition, let me do this. I'm going to back up really quick. Let, let, me, let me define all three of these for you really quick, and then I'll define love for you. Legalism is what, the way that I would define it, is placing conditions on something that was con- intended to be unconditional. Leadership is guiding yourself and others to a place that is better than where they are currently. And love, the way that I think it's best represented is the fullness of truth plus the fullness of grace. Right? You're going to hear us talk a whole lot about tr- uh, truth and grace around here because that's where the name of our church comes from. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, we, re- we read that Jesus came full of truth and grace. And the longer that I've been in ministry, that's the more clearly it's been defined for me as I've just look- looked at things, experienced things, the fullness of truth and the fullness of grace is the best representation of love. Do you know why? Because it's the best representation of Jesus. See, what happens oftentimes, unfortunately, within the church is sometimes we lead with too much truth and not enough grace. And when we lead with too much truth, we start to play with legalism. We start to play with this idea of condemning people, expecting them to live differently, and telling them they're not a good Christian unless they do that. You see, legalism is rooted when truth exists without enough grace. But when the scale turns and we lead with too much grace without enough truth, we actually start giving people a license to sin because there's no accountability. That's why it's important to lead with the fullness of both. Now, it's hard. The way that I've explained it is if Jesus is full of truth and grace, we're not Jesus And so we're never going to be able to actually be full of both. And so in this church, here's the reality that I hope that will exist here. Sometimes we will lead with a little bit more grace, but not this. And when we lead with a little bit more grace, there's going to be a a gap of tension. If you're a truth person, because everybody's either a truth or grace person, this is what we found out. If you're a grace person and we're teaching more truth that day, we're going to ask you, to be a, if you're a grace person, to lean in the direction of truth. And sometimes if we lead with more grace one day, again, we, we hope that we don't unbalance the scale too much. So there's a little gap here we're hoping to live in. So if we lead with more grace, and we know if you're a truth person, that you would lead, lean in the area of grace and vice versa. And so that's our hope here, is that you would and we would represent the fullness of both. Because love, if you ask me, is best defined by the fullness of both truth and grace. And any time that we abandon one for the other, we will begin to lose sight of who Jesus is. Friends, it's my hope to lead a church full of changed people, changed people who represent the fullness of both grace and truth, inviting people to come just as they are, but as they grow in truth, encouraging them not to stay as they are. They don't have to behave, don't miss this, they don't have to behave behave before they can belong. Jesus was never in the business of behavioral management. And one of the things that will become more and more clear to you as you get to know him more, he is in the business of transforming the human heart. And as a church, we're hoping to paint a new picture. A new picture. A picture that will help people dismiss these old snapshots that they have in their mind of what they think the church is or was. But in order for us to paint this picture together, 
In order for it to make the final cut in people's minds, we have to replace legalism with love and good leadership. And if this gets you as pumped up as it does me, if this sounds like a church that you would want to be a part of, we need to start extending some invitations. Because there's a lot of people out there that have never experienced anything like that. And so maybe your first invitation could be for people to come and join us with our grand opening on September 10th. Our hope is that all the renovations will be done at that time and we're just going to have a big Jesus party in here. Because we believe the hope of Jesus is for everyone. Don't miss this. If the hope of Jesus is real and it's for everyone, guys, what are we willing to not do? Where are we willing to not go so that we can introduce people to the hope that only comes from Christ? And I can assure each and every one of you that there are people looking for hope. There are people that are desperate for hope. But unfortunately, they're looking in all the wrong places. And maybe they just don't even want to give the church church another chance because of the picture, the, the image they have in their mind of what they think the church is. Maybe they think of you know, corruption and leadership or abuse or the last scandal that they heard about on the news. And so they're turning to the world. And the world has plenty of information to give them, right? We're in this age, this generation of information. They can get as much information as they want. And there's something that's often happening today, and psychologists call it uh, the con- um, confirmation bias. And let me read this to you really quick. It's the natural human tendency to interpret new information as confirming our existing beliefs or theories. When we have a choice to read news that confirms our worldview or it challenges it, we almost always choose the former, regardless of the evidence. We saw this play out in a big way in this last political environment. Guys, what does this mean? It means we got a lot of work to do to paint a new picture, a different picture. But I'm encouraged. Like, I really am. I'm encouraged. Because you know what I see right now? I see a bunch of artists who are ready to live intentional lives. And our canvas, it's blank. So the picture that we want to paint, it's completely up to us. And so my hope is that you'll join us in this mission of painting a picture that's full of truth, full of grace, and full of good leadership, and one that's uprooting legalism. Let me do this. Let me close with the words from the Apostle Paul. He says this, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let me pray for us. Father, there are some of us in this room that know that we have got some churched stuff inside of us, some legalism inside of us, and maybe it's because of the environments that we grew up in. Maybe it's because of a standard that we set for ourselves, and so we feel like we've got to set that standard for other people. I don't, I don't know what it is. But God, I think you make it pretty clear in your word that you're not looking for churched people. You're looking for changed people. People who are willing to put their hands I'm sorry, their their lives in the hands of your son and let him form us into what he wants us to be. Let him transform our heart and maybe remove some of that baggage and some of that dirt and the messiness and the garbage and the mistakes that sometimes keep us from stepping foot into a spiritual environment because we're full of shame and fear. 
God, would you help us as a church paint a different picture so that when people think of the church, maybe they think of our logo, they think of Trace Church, and they're like, man, that church is doing something different. That church is just full of a bunch of messy people. Nobody's trying to be super religious or super spiritual. There are no spiritual superstars. They're just trying to come together and paint a different picture. God, my hope is that everybody in here will join together and that we'll be creative and whatever it is, whatever canvas we decide to paint together, and that we'll paint, we get to paint ourselves. You actually paint us into that picture, and that's incredible. So, Father, for anybody in here that's been on the other end of some legalism within the church, God, would you help them heal from that? Because I know those wounds can go deep. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.